Hey, everybody. Welcome to Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis. Uh, we take you on a real deep dive on the happenings of the hospitality industry. If you're new here, welcome. Here we are at the gorgeous wine layer, the private wine club, right next to the Ritz-Carlton. So for those of you who like to keep your wine in a safe space, in a sexy, sexy situation, the wine layer is definitely where you need to be. Um, and a little bit about me. So I've been covering the DC food, wine, and hospitality scene for the last 20 years. It all started with the list, areyouonit.com, the online e-zine that tells you everything happening in the food, wine, and hospitality scene. Uh, then I got into radio. You hear me on WTOP, Foodie and the Beast, the DC area's only food and wine hospitality show, uh, variety show, uh, is still on air. 15 years on 1500. Uh, and now here I am at the wine layer doing industry night. We are seven years old. I haven't been here for seven years. Uh, and you can check us out on YouTube and on all the podcast sites. And then lastly, of course, you follow me on social at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you get your social news, that's where to see me. Um, let's get into today's industry night. Hey, so if you pay attention to all my social media, you know that I've been out and about and I have been out of town for the last couple of weeks doing some really fun and interesting things. So let me just take you through it before I introduce you to my very cool guest today. Uh, so I did mention in an earlier show, I was at the James Beard Awards this year in Chicago. It was fantastic. I got to go to the media awards. I got to go to all the parties and um, I got a very special opportunity. Um, so I'm going to walk you through it. The media awards were incredible. Patty Yenich was up there. She rocks it like nobody's business. And it was such a dream to watch her up there. Um, I partied with Danny Lee, who was in town at Perilla. They were doing a fundraiser for the Asian American Foundation. And that was so much fun. Dinner at Azador um, Bastion, which is a new restaurant there, and it's gorgeous and delicious. Um, drinks by Singapore's Proof & Co., which was amazing and so much fun. Uh, dinner at Girl on the Goat, because believe it or not, even though I've been to Chicago a thousand times, I had never been, and I'm so glad that I had that opportunity to check it out. Um, I did have a really... Um, posh and fabulous suite at the Waldorf Astoria, which you should totally check out on my Instagram feed. And then really the cherry on top was I was hired by Hilton Hotels to be their red carpet representative at the James Beard Awards. So I got to be all dressed up and fancy with my hair and makeup done, mic in hand on the red carpet, elbowing the other press out of the way because they were really annoying. But I got to talk with Carla, Carla Hall, who is a good friend, um, Eric Adjapong, another good friend who I also got to talk to there. Um, but I did get to chat with Andrew Zimmern and Rick Bayless and Gail Simmons and so many of the nominees and winners. And it was a real, um, it was just an epic thrill. It was great. After the awards, which were super fun, we went to all the parties and had a 3 a.m. deep dish at Pernod. So all in all, it was a pretty amazing couple of days. Don't think for a second, though, I'm forgetting my backyard, D.C. Here's where I've been, and you should check out, too. Uh, Chris Morgan has opened up June in Tyson's. It's a Persian restaurant. It's a little upscale, but everybody is there with their families and friends. It's lively. It's got a great vibe. I think the Persian cuisine that they're serving is pretty on point. Um, I stopped in at Central because, Central, excuse me, because I went to go check out or, or get a personal tour of Julia's Kitchen because they're doing some new things there at the uh, National Museum of American History. 
And the chef there at Central is keeping Michelle Richard's uh, life and light alive. Uh, the Somme board at Anjou, Angel Barreto, is totally kicking that thing up, and it is delicious. Venezuelan tastes at Alma Cochina. I was in Baltimore and had a really great experience there. Also went to the beach. I know I packed this all in in three weeks, people. Um, also went to the beach. We did hit Blue Moon. It's not what it used to be, but it's still fabulous. It's where my husband and I first sort of kind of fell in love. Uh, Thrasher's obviously on the boardwalk because you got to have those fries and Fracture Prune for breakfast every day because who doesn't start a day with a donut? Um, okay, I think that's it. It's all on my show social. So check it out at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S. And let's get into today's show. So as you can see, I have an incredible crew here today. Five years ago, Bresca and its contemporary Parisian bistro vibe opened up on 14th Street here in the D.C. area. And really, it did take uh, the local, national, and international food illiterati kind of by storm. Chef Ryan Rotino um, is inspired by French cuisine, but when you see those plates, it is all him. So since 2019, Bresca has been recognized with a Michelin star. And don't think for a second that that cocktail program deserves anything more than a side eye because beverage director Will Patton and his team, they shake, they stir, they pour, and they have these incredible cocktail creations that are in an enviable glass collection. And as a glass obsessed, I am obsessed with what they're doing. Um, and of course, they up the ante by opening up Jaunt upstairs. This incredible journey of fine dining, a true culinary experience with an incredible wine program. I've got Andrew Elder here too, who is a part of that process. His fingerprints are all over it. So I have this, and that's a two-star Michelin restaurant. So I've got three stars right here with me uh, in studio. They have tons of other accolades that we're going to get to, but I'm very excited to talk with them. So gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today. All right, Ryan, let's start with you. You have a pretty um, snazzy uh, resume. I think you and I first met when you were at Ripple. Would that so. be correct? Yeah. What brought you to the DC area? Yeah, I think uh, I'm here by chance. You know, mm -hmm. I used I went to school in Florida, uh, but right, baseball, right? Yeah, well, that Ohio baseball culinary school, Florida, and then um, like most cooks, you want to go work in New York City, of course. So I I went to New York, worked for a minute there, and then kind of found my way as like a halfback. Like I didn't want to go all the way back to Florida. My family's in Ohio, mm -hmm. so we're five, you know, far enough, but not too far. Mm -hmm. So five and a half hours from from my parents' house there. And then, um, yeah, so I settled in here. I love Northern Virginia. I live in Northern Virginia, but I, you know, make the reverse commute to the city. Right. So, yeah, I love the area. But what you were doing at Ripple, where I first met you, yeah. I mean, that was somebody else's vision. So yeah. what did you have in the back of your head? What was inspiring you to create Bresca? And can we talk a little bit about what it, how that came to be? Yeah, absolutely. I think... Um, at Ripple, the ownership was incredible. Roger and mm -hmm. Kurt, they're, they're wonderful people. Which, so with an incredible wine program, by the way, stunning. right? Yeah, the Beautiful. best wine prices in the city you back then. So, yeah, yeah, it was unreal. But they would, uh, so much autonomy there as a leader of the kitchen to kind of do my thing and as you know, just make sure business was was going positively, right. you know, but outside of that, it was kind of like the freedom to cook with the team and create whatever. Well, we, Ripple, if I'm 
you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it was kind of like a little incubator. All the chefs yeah. kind of went through there. Yeah, I took over after Marjorie. Right? Yeah, and then yeah. before that was Logan Cox? I can't, is he in the West Coast now, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. so I mean. Totally. Right. Okay, yeah. we're on the same and Like You had to do a few things. You know, we did a few things. Like we had the grilled cheese bar and stuff like that. Not mm. so much my my style, but they loved it and the community loved it. So we kept it, you know, mm-hmm. and we did those things. But uh, my business partners used to dine at at ripple quite a bit mm-hmm. and then you know where we're at now at Bresca used to be policy mm-hmm. so it was like the two-story like brunchy spot in the morning nightclub at night upstairs okay you're being so nice about what it was but go ahead <laughs> <laughs> right we, we all remember what was going on there but go yeah. ahead guys. i'm here for it right we seen even hey even when Bresca was <laughs> even in Bresca's first years i mean we saw some wild stuff with the nightclub still open upstairs it was pretty oh, sure. I remember the guy who chased everybody around, blowing a fire extinguisher down the stairs, oh, yeah. like all kinds of wild oh, good times. shit. Yeah, good exactly. Times. Uh, good thing God for DC police. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, we uh, it was good. But yeah, so we met them there, and then you know they were policy at that time was you know at like ten years old or something right before Bresca had, had okay. opened. Mm-hmm. So they were like, oh, you know, it's kind of run its course on on their mental state and everything else. So mm-hmm. they were ready for something new. So we we got to talking and then just the idea of you know using our training the background french cooking you know i think a lot of us go to french cooking school but you know we're younger and it's a different era and there's a lot of pretense built around what french cuisine is you know Mm -hmm. and i think we're as like a generationally there's like a new group coming you see like petite serie now with jeremiah but like the idea of kind of breaking down the walls like you can still cook seriously without getting buttoned up and having to like you know not laugh and things like that so that was the original kind of inspiration for Bresca was to have like a community I mean people kind of thought we were nuts because we were going on 14th street and it was kind of like clubby back then and they're like right as grown up is this grown up gonna do it on 14th and we're like well we're gonna give it our best effort yeah, I think you, you know? did it. all right yeah. let's put a pin in it right there so let's talk about when you joined will and how how you looked at ryan's vision and decided what you wanted to do like how did you where did you come from how did you wind up in dc and um you know what got you into the beverage part of the business yeah so i'm actually from uh the area originally i grew up in alexandria mm-hmm. uh, and then I left uh, and then bounced around in uh, Richmond, Chicago, New Orleans, started uh, cocktail bartending. And uh, similarly, like I moved back to DC about six years ago mm-hmm. and I was working uh, at a bar that's no longer there. It was close at 2 a.m., long nights. Uh, you can tell us what bar? Oh, uh, it was it called secret. 5 to 1 on U Street. Oh, okay. Uh, it was only open for like a year. It, mm-hmm. was, it was my friend's bar. He was a great guy. I love it. Wonderful experience. Okay. Um, but <laughs> I feel like there's some stories <laughs> that we could get into, but we, we don't have the time today. But go ahead. Uh, so one of uh, the, uh, the original beverage director, correct? Of uh, yeah, Juan. Juan. Yeah. Uh, a guy named Juan Coronado. He uh, he also worked for Bacardi, and I had been a uh, finalist at a Bacardi Legacy competition. Mm-hmm. So uh, he they needed somebody to uh, run the bar at Bresca. Uh, Juan knew I was in DC. He uh, linked me up with uh, Chef Ryan, and uh, for me at first, it was kind of like, all right, cool. I'm not gonna have to be like at a bar at two o'clock in the morning. This seems like a really nice uh, transition. And then um, as I started to work there, and like I understand what like Ryan's vision was, and mm-hmm. like the dedication 
uh, that like Michelin star chefs or at that time aspirationally Michelin star chefs have, that's something that like I was able to like, internalize and see. It's like, it's different than a bar that can be a bar. Right. Like, it's like the, uh, I remember actually one of the earliest things is uh, there's a picture of a cocktail on like Yelp and you were like, what's this? I'm talking to you right now. Like, no one can see. Uh, but it was like a mint garnish. And he was like, we would never put like something like this on a plate. And then you kind of click and you're like, yeah, like if that's like the Sounds level. <laughs> but uh, if that's like the level uh, that they're putting out the food, then the cocktails that we make should have the same sort of ingredients, the same sort of techniques, same sort of presentation, the same sort of level and care. Uh, and then once that kind of clicked, uh, we were able to run with it and, but I think when the sense. cocktail program started at Fresca, you guys were doing really unique offerings. I remember, was it the uh, beehive? Oh, like the the bee glass with the yeah, yeah, like the bees knees and yeah. We had tr- I, I mean, it was Instagrammable before people were really yeah. I think doing that yeah. almost like a little pre Insta. Yeah, we took like a year. I took a trip to Europe before opening, mm-hmm. and Danny Garcia in Madrid mm-hmm. is Bebo is like so awesome and mm-hmm. cool and the playing cards and the cocktail glassware and so we were super inspired coming back by the imagery that it could create mm-hmm. and then yeah Juan, Juan was incredible to work with too I mean he still pops around here and there he's and been so, in the so, studio uh, I've seen him around yeah exactly he pops around here you know so like uh and he he kind of had that creative vision as well so when he brought Will on it was it was easy mm-hmm. you know and then Will how did you grow as a beverage director like with wines did you have a a knowledge of wines how did you grow with that i uh i'm very fortunate to work with people who know considerably more about wine Mm -hmm. uh i kind of just grew as like organizationally uh i was able to like a lot of the things that i never turns out like i'm actually good at like numbers which was not like a skill set that i really thought that i was going to have okay good to my 20s yes um and (laughs) So, like, moving into that, then I was able to, like, and I guess I'm not trying to do your segue for you, but uh, no. I was able to work with Andrew. Who I mean, was, I think I lobbed it to you, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was able to, like, uh, work with Andrew, who knows considerably about more. Mm-hmm. And, like, as like I wrote the original Jauntless just because we were open during the pandemic. There right. was a very skeleton crew. Andrew came on immediately after. Right. You came on during the pandemic. Yeah, November 20th. Do you want to grab that mic? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Great. There you go. I know it's really weird, but you'll get used to it pretty quick. Trust no me. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. So November 2020, and actually uh, Jonathan Kana, Ryan's business partner and RDO, I work with him at, at Mini Bar, and that's kind of how I. That was my first restaurant in DC okay. after working in New York. I came down and and was a psalm there for almost three years, and he had been trying to get me to come open this new project of a chef's counter experience on 14th street and mm-hmm. kind of having the mindset of 14th street and saying, I don't know if that's area, the area that I can really see this. being. Was it a little gritty for you? Was that your concern? Well, you know, I, if you can look at me, I don't know if I really fit in over there, but Will fits in well. So I think that, uh, <laughs> that, that I can make it work. <laughs> listen, dude, anybody can put on a coat. Seriously. That's how you wear it. Now. Yes. Exactly. Of course. Uh, but, so after about four months of, of talking with Jonathan, I, I made my way there and, and fell in love with the space and just the whole concept that Chef Ryan that had really put his dedication and passion on on the plate and the project that I mm-hmm. could also see myself being passionate about. And Will of Cocktails were amazing, but 
I think really the wine list needed a little bit of help and and wanted. To so what was it about team. the wine list that you saw that you wanted to add to it? You threw it to me. I had to take it. You threw it to me. I had to take it. So what? So in your with your professional background in wine, how do you go about? choosing a wine program are you doing Bresca and John are you just more at the time it was just it was just John but now it's both well no now it's it's just John Uh, oh okay Bresca was doing just to go food and the wine list that John opened with right right, was Bresca's wine list okay um but you're expanding on that yeah but at the time it was truly like I I fully believe of of just like you know shutting up and doing the work and then like Mm -hmm. listening to what's happening and learning the ethos as to why the wines he picked were there and, and why we're cooking the way we cook and like taking those, that the entire ethos of the restaurant and applying it to the list and making sure that the dedication and care of selecting and curating lists is just as much care as the chef's put into the plate mm-hmm. uh, and the entire experience as well. And so just keeping that core list of at the time, it was 50 bottles. Uh, and then every month setting a goal of, okay, I'm adding 25 this month, 30 next month, and then working with budgets and, and, and numbers say, is something that I've definitely money. learned with. Yeah. But Two years later, you know, you got Yeah, <laughs> exactly. A week. <laughs> well, okay. So we haven't really talked about how Bresca, Bresca is its own entity, but then there was a vision mm. to have John. So let's, <clears throat> let's talk about John a little bit so that we can open it up and really talk about both and how both get run. So was the plan to always open a secondary higher end restaurant upstairs? Um, I would say not not right away, but within probably just after the first year, we started to look at the upstairs kind of like the business was waning as like low hanging fruit. Like it's sitting there, it's empty. Mm-hmm. Why not utilize it? We're already cooking in this restaurant every day. And then we started to develop the concept. I always say, you know, when I worked in a 200 seat restaurant, I thought, okay, if I could just have a hundred, I can really cook, you know? And then mm-hmm. if I, when I was in a hundred seat restaurant, like, oh, if we could just have 50, I could really cook. And then Bresca's 50 and we would be cooking until one o'clock in the morning back right. then, like busy line. Wait, like, it's 50, but how many times does it turn over? Yeah, you used to four. Right. Like, I mean, that's my we, point. We, so yeah, it's not 50. Yeah, exactly. So and now you got that outdoor stuff. So, uh, right. Yeah. So it does its thing, you know, and it's like, then when you're at 50 and it was kind of like, what's the real number? Mm-hmm. What can we really do to just geek out, go crazy on cooking, mm-hmm. have a lot of fun with the guests? And like, we have a wine brand, it's called Fuck It, right? It's like, how can we just have that mentality towards everything we're doing? We're not measuring the caviar that goes on the plate. We're not measuring the truffles that go on the plate. You're mm-hmm. 16 people sitting in front of a kitchen for one night, I don't take for granted by any stretch that it's that it, the price point like it is not inexpensive. So we lay it on from the I'm start. I'm going to say that again. It is not inexpensive. <laughs> yeah, it is yeah. expensive. Right? And it's like, but we lay it on. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that was the intention from the very beginning. It's the best product sourcing that you can find in the world, mm-hmm. put in front of the guests for three and a half hours. And the same with the wine. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you could be sitting there and we're like, man, you really like we see the guests are like, wow, they really like wine. You know, and we're like, we have this 88 Latour open on the fuck it pairing. Boom. Splash them two ounces. Mm-hmm. Like it's a hundred and eighty dollars in that splash. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But it doesn't matter because that's what the restaurant was built for. The idea. Well, So you're sort of giving we're sort of dipping into hospitality. Yeah. Because I will say, I mean, my favorite person at Bresca is um Sarah. Oh yeah, Sarah. Sarah. Um oh my God. I said this to you when you came in. She is like the glowiest, happiest. 
like <laughs> most authentic. Like she's just, I'm like, I want whatever you are drinking or yeah, like I want all of it. <laughs> she's just this beautiful yeah. person. And, um, but honestly, all of your staff, when you are there, so in Bresca, when you're in Bresca, I, you know, you just brought up Petite Suri, you know, um, uh, Jeremiah's place. Yeah. I, I mean, he's doing a more refined version of Le Diplomat. That's mm. what, to me, that's what's happening over there. That is not what you're doing. Bresca is not some high-end brasserie. It is not casual. I mean, I know you want this casual time, yeah, yeah. but it is an elevated right. dining experience. For I mean, sure. You know, and yeah. from what's going on in the bar and all the beakers and tubes behind it to what you're doing upstairs. But how do, let's just dip into hospitality since we're here. How do the three of you define the hospitality for downstairs in Bresca and then kick it up even higher for upstairs at John? I almost feel like truly like that there is no definitive line that we're not willing to cross for hospitality. Mm -hmm. That's our hospitality. It's limitless. It like it has like no like my my fiance comes to dinner once in a while, right? She loves French fries. This team goes down and gets French fries from McDonald's and like puts them on fancy plates and makes on sure a silver that, platter. Yeah, make oh sure she's like enjoying. You know, we have guests who are when they're into wine. Those, they're splashing wines that are $2,000 a bottle in their glasses mm -hmm. to make sure that they're like, whoa, you have this and it's open. Why not? Right. right. Especially like on a Sunday night. We're closed Monday, Tuesday. Right. It's like, one, I always say. Are we corving in, these Insider days? tip. Sunday night's the night. Yeah, Sunday I, night's I always night. say that. I'm like, Sunday is the night because it's like the, the uni that's open is going out. The, uh -huh. the, no, I'm going to take The caviar <laughs> that's open is going out because we don't save anything for the next week because the quality is not the same. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, I think for us, hospitality though, it's like, it's, it's, it's limitless. Like we'll do anything to make people happy. And we want to personalize the experience to a point that you didn't know could happen. Like we make dog treats, cat treats, Nitya, our hospitality director, her role is like, it's like probably the, I always say it's the hardest thing to quantify mm -hmm. because you don't even know, like it, it's not like they're not controlling the books. Like there's not like a specific AOR that she's like, this is my, well, her role is to make people happy. There's no data points. Literally, that. there's but, zero. But there is because of what people say and what people do exactly. afterwards. So I see where your passion is, but I'm curious how you two pick up on that passion and then pass it on to the teams there, because I, I, I do believe it comes from the top, but sometimes it misses. So how are you able to communicate with your teams about the kind of hospitality that's important when it comes to the cocktails and the training and the wine? I mean, I think with like he said it perfectly, it's trickle down support. It's it's having his support for, for management and saying, mm -hmm. like, this is your show, run it. And then having the management team that that is doing the exact same thing with the, the team that's at the line level face to face with the guests and saying, wow, you you love McDonald's cheeseburgers. And that's like a joke. You always eat that after your tasting menu. We're going to go order McDonald's for you and have it waiting downstairs at the door on mm -hmm. your exit. And then knowing that we could spend, you know, a, a fair amount of time doing that. But just that one person's smile and having them continually come back for that experience. But it's more personal each time is is really a fun place to do it basically mm -hmm. is, is really awesome. And what about for you with cocktails? I mean, you have to do a lot of training. The cocktails are not just 
a couple of things thrown in a shaker. They're um, layered, they're balanced. How do you what go back training mm -hmm. them and ensuring that the product you want out there is out there? I mean, as you like mentioned, Sarah, before, you have to find people who are really committed to that. Like that's somebody who just wants people to be happy when they're mm -hmm. at her bar. Mm -hmm. And then she also, and then kind of looking at the cocktail and similar to the way like Andrew was saying about providing the experience, like the cocktail is a cocktail, but it's also an experience. Mm -hmm. So it's an extension. With no mint on it. <laughs> there's actually no mint in the restaurant anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there's, no mint, there's no mint. Mint and rosemary, they don't <laughs> exist. <laughs> But uh, like we always talk about that if you went to a bar, someone can make you the greatest cocktail of all time, like the most flavorful, the most balanced. But if they make you feel like shit, bad, they you make, can say shit. Okay, <laughs> if they make you feel like We're shit, adults here. then you're not going to like, it's not going to taste good. I mean, I want to remind you, he said fuck it like three times. <laughs> it's that's, actually, the, it's the, it's that's actually a problem to realize that. So it's trying to like, if you really care about like what the product you're putting in, then you have to look at it as an extension of hospitality mm -hmm. and uh, and putting as much emphasis. And then on the same, like I have this problem, uh, it's a, a very chef problem. And luckily, I work with chefs who don't have it. But you uh, normally think like if I put on the plate and it's good, people will like it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that's like cool. That's all I got to do. But if you realize like it's so much more than that it's the music that's up you're playing it's how people feel around you mm -hmm. and you're able to like create that environment when you're able to take those extra little steps like uh, they do they're able to do it jaunt and be like really blow people's minds it's the best thing that he ever did she got i would have never thought about this i have uh, my parents ordered to go during the pandemic they were my aunt and uncle nitty was like i need pictures of them from their wedding and then they put them in the notes huh. and then like my Parents fucking crying. Right. And, then, like, uh, and then, like, I've lived with them my entire life. It would have never come into my mind. But, like, think, and then now when we do something like that, it isn't like an SOP, but it's something that we're like, we're like, all right, cool. This is something we know is going to have that, like, emotional connection that's going to make the food and the experience better. Actually, what I think it is, is being thoughtful. And people always call me thoughtful, you know, but I mean, no, I, you know, listen, when I was there, I mean, I was just sitting at the bar yeah. for snacks and drinks and, you know, they came up at the end with little dog treats yeah. with my two newfies on them. And yeah. I was like, I mean, that's a, that's a smart trick. I like that, yeah. you know, and I, like I think that. people walk away and like that somebody took the time to think of them. Mm -hmm. And I mentioned to you guys when we were starting the show about hospitality and to me right now, there's a lot of hospitality issues out there. I mean, there are staff shortages that we know about, but there's also like this simmering anger that I feel out there. It's coming from both sides. It's coming from the diner and it's coming from the hospitality industry. And I'm just sort of curious if you guys feel it or see it, or if it's just not happening in your place of business. I think like from, from our angle, like one thing that, you know, we are there, like we, I don't know how you say this from like, you just say it. Yeah. In, in the last few years, I think there's the opportunity to utilize a lot of excuses on why you're not, why you're not supplying a proper experience, if mm -hmm. that makes sense. Right. Yes. But at some point those need to expire, right? Like at some point for all of us, I would walk, I, one day I walked into the restaurant and I said, if you tell me that we're not doing this because of COVID, one more time, mm -hmm. I'm done because mm. it's 
bullshit. Like it has nothing to do with COVID. It is just purely a mindset that we settled into that we could do less and expect more because the guest was supporting us during the time, right? And I think we were doing a lot of care. I think you are really saying something that people need to hear. We went through COVID and we had a ton of support from the community. Mm -hmm. It was insane. I mean, we were doing three, four, 500 covers and the restaurant has 50 seats. Right. We could never do that without carry out. So then it was like, oh, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving we had a thousand Thanksgiving carryouts in 2020. It blew my, it's still our busiest day upstairs. ever. I mean, Smaller than the one downstairs. I was going to say. I'll never, we look at the pictures and oh, you wow. just want to vomit. You're like, right. never again, never right. again. Like, right. But, but we were all scared. We yeah. And I think people came out and they, they did it. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, you as a diner came out and showed out for us to be there when this was over. So in mm -hmm. turn, we tried to show out in a carry out box, tweezers still to go cocktails. We had artists making custom labels for our to go cocktails, all this crazy stuff. But then when that went away, why did it stop? Mm -hmm. The custom label should still happen because now you're in the restaurant. We have an opportunity to present you this beautiful NA beverage with a cool ass label on it that we worked with an artist during COVID right. to make, right? Well, why can't they make them now still? But because you can, yeah, there's expenses that go along with everything, but you're still paying for it. Mm -hmm. So like now we still do those things. And I think the people who are flourishing mm -hmm. are still doing those things, but not utilizing the excuse in three years later that you know, there's this shortcoming from two and a half years ago is still affecting me now. Could it be? Yeah, but we've also had to adapt then. And now we adapt still to like adjust through where where we are, you know, and I think for us, maybe I want to I don't want to say we don't feel that like w with the guests, because I mean, there's definitely like moments like we use a service charge model, right? Mm -hmm. Most people in our restaurants, they there's no hesitation. But there so is John, you have to pay in advance for John, right? No, just, uh, deposit, just, just deposit, deposit okay. on ticket. Yeah. Okay. But it's a non, it is a non-refundable. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So like, but we have a service charge model and that offers us all these other opportunities because during COVID we raised our starting rate. We added 401k, we added dental and vision insurance. We yeah. added all these opportunities. So, cause with people shutting down, what better time to find amazingly talented staff? Right. Because people need jobs, That's right? That's how you got there, right? That's, yeah. <laughs> so, like, we added... But you a, opened John during the pandemic. Yeah, October of 2020. <laughs> yeah. Not, dividers in between seats oh and all this seats, crazy... 16 seats, right? Yeah, 16, 16 seats. Okay. The, at that time, 12, because we wanted we had the space and sure. dividers and all these things. And, you know, we wanted to do it really well, you know, but it's evolved in two years so much because you have sourcing got, we went from 50 bottles to now like over 500 on the wine list. You know, it went from no awards to a grand award, right? right. Best, 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 best award of X. Best of award Wait, so wait, let's so, just go through the awards for a second. So you have uh, Michelin stars at Fresca since 2019. 18. And, oh, 18. Right? Sorry. Yeah, not five years. Five, okay. five years now. So, and then yeah. uh, you have two stars at, at John's. John's. Yep. Okay. Yep. Congratulations. On Thank all. you. And then you got a, he, Michelin Award. Yeah, yeah, cocktail program. For the, the cocktail year. program. Cocktail you move just a little closer, Mike. I want to make sure we can hear you. Cocktail Excellent Award or okay. something. Like, it, yeah, yeah, Michelin yeah. said we got good cocktails. <laughs> yeah, best cocktail program yeah. for DC. You're so say, man. Seriously? <laughs> um, okay, and then you got a bunch of Ramy noms. Yeah, yep. we got like two years in a row. We've been fortunate, best chef and mm -hmm. formal fine okay. dining for yep. John. Okay. Beer, beard. I don't know what love we made semi, the first cut, but not this final semi, cut. Semi, 
Semi. Yeah, there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For the first time for um, Mid-Atlantic. Exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah, it was awesome. I call it the long list, but they call it the semis. Yeah, they, yeah. <laughs> but like, uh, John missed a lot of those opportunities because the awards weren't happening during COVID. Sure. So like we opened, you know, we were, we were supposed to open May of 20. We mm. opened October. Yeah. Well, so let's just talk about for people who haven't had the opportunity to go to John, mm-hmm. for all of you, really, like what that experience, we know it's an expensive experience, but what what are we walking people through? Let's talk about the product. I understand you have a partner, some sort of relationship with Patrician. Yeah. And, um, you know, let's talk about the wines a little bit and the cocktails, like how it all kind of comes together for this rich experience. Yeah, so I think everyone enters through through Bresca, mm-hmm. and then the team at the front kind of directs traffic as to where anyone's going, and then you go upstairs for jaunt. That's why we named it jaunt, right? It was like a, it's it's J A U N T, but we use the phonetic spelling mm-hmm. of the word, a short uh, excursion or journey for pleasure, right? So the mm-hmm. idea is you're going upstairs and you're going to experience something that should be deeply indulgent and satiating to the soul, and kind of like full of passion from the team. So you go upstairs and then you enter the savory counter is what we call it mm-hmm. in the in the operations side, we have a savory <laughs> counter and um, there's 16 seats. And in there we start you with a kind of like a barrage of snacks. It's like five, six snacks, depending on the time of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, hit and you eat those with your fingers. It kind of opens up the meal. Then you have Oshibori, wash your hands, you know, and then you settle into plated courses. You say Oshibori like everybody knows what it is, but yes, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, right. And then uh, from in that savory counter, you're there for about two hours and 20 minutes, roughly. And you would experience, you know, snacks through main course, as well as the bulk of a wine pairing, all sitting in front. We have a live fire that we cook everything almost like pretty much everything at least kisses the fire right mm-hmm. some sort of you know and then you watch the team you engage with the team we present ingredients counter we call it counter side you know like present melons wagyu beef whole hokkaido king crabs because the it's not i always tell people it's never going to be the most avant-garde experience you've had it's not built to be an avant-garde restaurant so when you it's, say avant-garde you're talking like molecular gastronomy exactly i mean yeah. That's good, right? Because we're growing. Yeah. Like that it's like, sort of had its heyday. Not that there can't be components of it, but exactly. I think an experience like that is. Yeah. It there's like your, your, like, you know, your mini bar experience is still incredible. It's still incredible. You know, and they, they, they kill it, but like they, they have that niche carved out in the DC market, right? It's like mm-hmm. you were in Chicago, Alinea's, they're not going anywhere. They're not they're going anywhere. Crushing, right? Right. Like it's fully talented. But for us, it's about ingredients and technique. We're going to cook over this fire. What we the best ingredients that we could procure every day, and then serve them to you simply. There's maximum three ingredients on a plate, mm-hmm. and then the idea is that like the wine glasses are Zaltos, the 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 this, the flatware is all Kudipol. Everything you touch, all the tangibles feel good. Mm. Like it's like a re, it's like a real like it's supposed to be luxurious, right? Not in a pretentious way, but in a way that like it justifies everything that you're there to like either like spend or your mind anticipated coming or more mm-hmm. you know and then that's where the hospitality comes into play for the more mm-hmm. right i used to think good cooking was all you needed i was 26 when we opened Bresca. i'm like okay just cook your ass off right you're gonna be full but i think now as i mature like Food and wine are an amenity to good hospitality. It's the ripe old age of 31. Yes, I hear that. <laughs> but it's like hospitality is the focus. Mm-hmm. The rest are amenities to that. You know, how do you make, he said, you can make the best cocktail ever. But if, yeah, but if somebody image, just sort of gives it to you and be like, it Here's doesn't, your, doesn't taste that good. You should love this because I made it. Ex- I mean, we've all been 
You just stepped to, on all of my lines. I know. But we've all <laughs> been to places where we've either eaten or had drinks or had wine where this, the service leaves you a little, a little sour. And that does take away from the work going on in the kitchen or the work coming on behind the bar. So let's talk about your cocktails. Like how do you, are you incorporating cocktails into the John experience? So there are uh, a few cocktails available at John. Uh, mm -hmm. The ethos of them is they're uh, classics perfected. Mm -hmm. uh, originally, uh, John was like a journey through time. So we have a lot of uh, vintage spirits as well. Mm -hmm. uh, you can do like a vintage Negroni, um, which uh, we're very lucky that we work with like uh, some friends of ours that are spirit brokers, mm -hmm. uh, specifically Seth. I'm shouting you out, Seth. Yes, <laughs> hey, Seth. Uh, <laughs> uh, and so like they're able to help us get like um, older chartreuses, older Camparis, uh, which really add on to that like I mean, we actually last night did a side by side yeah. between a Negroni and a vintage Negroni, and they are two different, like the same yeah, ingredients, are. but like two different cocktails entirely. Mm -hmm. And it is indulgent, but it's also like you have to kind of like not think about it as an indulgence, but it's an experience that like you're not really going to be able to have anywhere else. But can I ask you for people who don't understand a vintage spirit? What does that mean? I mean, I know what it means because I've talked to people who are collectors, but not everybody understands the value of a vintage spirit. So how do you all define it and utilize it? Uh, so the vintage Negroni specifically, we use a beef eater from the 60s, 80s, 80s, uh, Campari from the 70s, mm -hmm. and then uh, Carpano um, Punta Mes from the 60s. But what's the value of their age? Because people think of like it doesn't age like wine. Pretty mass production right. is a big thing, I think. Like quality of yeah. the product produced is so superior. So Campari, for example, it's and you can probably tell a story, but I think it's a fun story. That it, up until 2006, mm -hmm. they it got its red color from a, a cochineal beetle shell. Mm -hmm. Now it's food coloring, right? Uh, but that I think it adds texture and, and there's definitely a darker red hue to it and adds value to it because you physically and literally cannot get it anywhere else anymore. Mm. And the flavor does change every time you get more of these vanilla notes and this kind of softerness where Campari today is very bitter and an astringent. Syrupy. Yeah, it's just it's a sugary, bittery Sorry, beverage. Did I make a face? <laughs> we made it yesterday night and we had the chef, like Brandon, our head chef and myself tasting them side by side. And I was like, oh, this one has Nonino in it. Like I thought he put Amaro in the mm -hmm. in the Negroni and he was like, no, it's the same ingredients. And I'm like, oh, one's just 30 years, 40 years newer than the other one, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like the, it, there's all these nuances and layers and like depth, I guess, mm -hmm. in the vintage Negroni that just didn't exist in the regular Negroni. Now, once you open that vintage spirit, does it degrade? I mean, let's be completely honest, like time and oxygen change everything. Of so course. like yeah. the, uh, the vermouth, the, uh, the Punta de Mes, like they say that they've never changed the recipe. Sure. Great. Right. But, uh, I mean, it's obviously tastes different than a Punta Mes, even if it was the same recipe and they made right. it today, like it's going to be oxidized mm -hmm. and loses a little bit of the acidity, but it's also picked up almost like a richer dark chocolate, mm -hmm. almost like vegetal note to it. Mm -hmm. So it's not, Calling it even like a Negroni, like you would say, it's a Negroni is a misnomer because it doesn't actually taste like what you would think a Negroni yeah. would taste like. It tastes like something cool, new, and different. Even though it isn't new, it's actually very, very old. 
Right. Right. <laughs> it's old, but it's new. It's yeah. new for you. Yeah. Yes. All that's old is new again. And then let's talk a little bit about the wine. You've expanded the Jaunt Wine Program to 500 wines. You are obviously given, I mean, like the Vintage Spirits Collection, which costs a lot of cash. You are obviously given a budget to do something similar. What, how? Talk about what you were looking for, the tastes you wanted. Yeah, well, so tying and If the you whole start waxing poetic about Riesling, I'm going to kick you out, so. Uh, we'll do Gruner instead, okay. how about that? <laughs> but that's fair. Uh, the biggest thing I was going to say, though, is, is like we don't, that's the one thing that's different between the cocktails and the food side is that we don't actually make the wine. We have to source it, and that's where we really tie in the hospitality that Ryan was saying is curating the list to what the guests want, mm -hmm. and that's the first experience. They sit down and aside from a greet with a, with a, a team member, mm -hmm. looking at the list and finding what they love about it is, is their first connection to the restaurant. And so it's really, you know, perusing the market and seeing what's doing well here or perusing our, our competitors and seeing what they're doing well at. And then also reaching out and collaborating with them and bringing in products that, that they're using with and, and using their importers and their distributors that are super small and trying to get a start, but they have this well, that, great But that's niche. what I'm kind of curious. Like when it comes to the wine program, it's Parisian Bistro E, Parisian inspired downstairs, yeah. French inspired downstairs. Um, jaunt is a journey. So you're not really restricted exactly. with the yeah. kind of wines, Precisely. right? It doesn't have to be French, Italian, New World, Old World. You kind of, the world's sort of your oyster. Yeah, well, he's learned oysters, so it's, uh, right. it's more of our, our rice right. bowl. So. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's definitely, that, that's why like, we, we curate it to, to what people like. If, if there's a, a great collection of, of Napa Cab and there's a small collection of, of Switzerland wine. Uh, mm -hmm. We had a former team member that was from Switzerland and that was very, she was very passionate about it. And I was like, we're going to bring this on the list because it represents not only the restaurant, but the people that are pouring the wine and talking about it as well. And again, working with those local distributors and, and focusing on those niche regions as mm -hmm. well as the greater regions. And yeah, we have the big names. We have Ravenau, we have Ravenau, Dagenau, and DRC. Well, and listen, we when people are dropping a dime on a dinner like that, yeah. a certain clientele only wants that big name that they so, know. Absolutely. Um, my question is, is how do you engage with them to I mean, DC is a different market, right? And plus you're a Michelin star, so you're getting a lot of tourists, lot. you know, people coming in yeah. specifically for the dining experience. So they're probably a lot more open-minded to tasting. If you came to them or your staff comes to them and says, you need to try this, yeah. they're probably a lot more open. We're driven by pairings. Yeah, it is. It, I would say it's eight over 80% pairings uh, that, that we're selling. Yeah. And that's where the fuck it pairing that the whole inception was like people are coming here for this incredible experience for food. Mm -hmm. We're going to give you that same level of experience in the form of wine. And we on, inside we refer to it as the wine experience. It's not really a pairing because you can only pair that level of wine so intently with the dashis and the style of cuisine that we, mm -hmm. we use. Uh, that we've created and curated this experience of wine that if someone only drinks Napa, then we're going to get rid of all the old world wine on that pairing and pour them the high end Napa. That you just have. answered my question because I was going to be like, what <laughs> Finally, do you do? Okay. Right? No, like for me, I don't, <laughs> I can't tell you how many, um, everybody knows that I don't like Riesling and I know there are good Rieslings. It's just a mental thing. Yeah. I don't want it. Okay. But I went to, to know. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know, now you know. Uh, no. Um, and I went to, in DC specific, a competitor of yours, a uh, very high, um, expensive dining experience. And, you know, it's supposed to be, um, curated specifically for you. And I was with three other people in the food industry. And when the song came over, we decided to do the pairing and they said, anything you like or don't like. And my friend said, 
these two do not like Riesling. And that was like a gauntlet thrown, man. That was like, he was like, yeah, I got a Riesling for you. I was like, we're not. I just, <laughs> aren't, there, aren't there so many other wines yeah, right. available? No, convincing. He didn't come over with just one Riesling. He poured two. And I was like, I, I don't understand what's happening here. I, I don't, there's a, there's no hospitality in that. I don't need to tell you both that. But I, I do think that there's, it, it's, I don't know what it is about me that brings that out in people, but, um, <laughs> but it does, it has, it has happened to me multiple times, but it was at a specific fine dining, very expensive Michelin starred experience. And I don't know if it's because I'm in the industry that they felt they could, you know, fuck with right. me or what. But um, it's very nice to hear that when somebody tells you yeah. that, yeah, I'm all new world and I want to touch those old things, that you're yeah. like, okay, let's dust that shit off. Let's That's start over. such yeah. a beverage. We polish the bottle for you. <laughs> what? That's the like, Riesling? No, I'm just like, oh, <laughs> it hurts my soul a little you bit. You don't like mezcal? Let me make you a mezcal cocktail to convince you that you're wrong, but I actually know what you like. And, yes. and it puts all the emphasis on the bartender or the psalm in that point and like ignores like, you just gave me a cheat code. Like that's Better, one that's thing. Very, exactly. Right. Yes. That, no know. mezcal. <laughs> Don't I got yeah. you. Yeah. Like guaranteed win to avoid Riesling. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And I yeah. think I think what you're all really talking about here is a level of hospitality in that you hear your patron. You hear what they say. You hear what they want. You respect the fact that they're taking the time not only to come to your restaurant and have your experience, but you want to give them the experience that they want. Right. I mean, it's a real symbiotic relationship. Yeah. Which we is need important. that. Yes. Right. We need that. That's what I, we talk about it all the time. We're like there's a little, there's always going to be a little bit of ego in curating an experience. That's like restaurant business, right? Like right. you want to express yourself. It's your right? vision. Right. But we need people to want to do it as well. So Sometimes people are a- going to be like, dude, your vision isn't working mm-hmm. for me. Right, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that's super important to, to listen and to like engage in what's going to, I mean, I want to be there in 20 years. You know, so uh, yeah. that, that's what that's what it takes. Not you know? staying there to two o'clock in the morning, but yeah, <laughs> I get it. All right, yeah. let's just wrap up on a couple things. So you guys are Krug ambassadors? Yeah, so Krug Ambassad is, it's their almost 20th year doing this program it started in france and it's basically this I partnership like i should be a cruise ambassador but go ahead i mean wow. we're hired <laughs> uh they, they partner with chefs and restaurants around the world now and it's basically the their large support group uh of of restaurants and, and collectors and chefs that that do the most to promote their brand and mm-hmm. i think unanimously and john at least the the our favorite champagne is is crude mm-hmm. uh, on the luxurious side delicious. of things yes indeed mm-hmm. uh and so that was a project that we started uh last year actually we were the first dc crew ambassade mm. uh, there's about 10 others in the u.s and now there's three in dc but we kind of brought it to the dc market and have really you know promoted their brand and, and brought them a lot of light in dc and then it, it helps promote us as well and it's just a great brand so who doesn't to like to drink with. like we just picked up a bunch of like 96 98 yeah, just, 2000 magnums three mm. liters and then it's like well why wouldn't you want to drink that yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah yeah well we know that some people don't like some things yeah, but exactly. we know what we like yeah, yeah, it's 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 champagne on our end all right <laughs> lastly can we talk about Petrosian? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So they made a caviar for you? So we work with pretty closely with Christoph, who's like the president in this mm-hmm. for market for North America. And um, 
we use a lot of caviar. I think last year we used about 240 kilos of caviar. Wow. In the, for in the year. Mm-hmm. Um, so we go to Petrosian and we taste through batches and farms and different producers of caviar in the warehouse. It's a really difficult job, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and then with Christoph, we select our caviar. So like in the Petrosian cooler, you know, that we have like a bin. And then if they know... I can geek out on caviar all day, but okay. the, the one fish they produce is like 10 kilos of caviar. Then mm-hmm. it's like the the detail that they have and how they procure it, age it. And it's mm-hmm. all barcoded. So every OT. You know where the fish is from, you know where it swam, you know what it ate. No, everything. I get it. And then it's the cool. tins can't get mixed up, right? Mm-hmm. So if we liked from one fish, they can go grab the other five tins from that same fish and put them in our been so that we always get nuanced man i love that yeah and we go and we select two different styles of caviar for john specifically one that has this like very like opulent gold rich Mm -hmm. like golden appearance rich in like texture and flavor almondy almost brown butter it's it's my favorite one. I can't believe you didn't bring any for us to try, but go ahead. Yeah, right. I didn't know I what like we're talking about. I feel like there's some crew missing. Exactly. Right? Yeah. You people came empty handed. Are you free tonight? Yeah. We have a seat at the There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Jump in there. No reason. <laughs> yeah, Riesling free menu. Yeah, thank uh, you. But yeah, and so with him, like with that relationship we've built over the last couple of years, mm-hmm. they're constantly selecting and then taking pictures and sending to us when we're not there. And then we go and we know. Mm-hmm. That, like they know what farms we like to buy our caviar mm-hmm. from and X, Y, and Z. So with that, the caviar is built to fit specific pl- places in the menu. Mm-hmm. And we use one style early and one style mid menu as well. Mm-hmm. And um, we don't, we don't serve like caviar in like uh, small amounts. We right. serve like huge bumps, huge bumps <laughs> of caviar. Right. Exactly. Love it. Like, we're very much like a, you can't taste, you can't really understand how to taste caviar by eating like three pearls at a time. Mm-hmm. You need to eat it by like the f- tablespoon to oh, understand it. Yeah. So I like where like, your head's at. And if we're going to put the time into the curating of it, then we want you to really understand why we picked it and we picked the age and everything. Even we were in France, I was in Paris last year and I went to them, even the mothership of mm. this Petrosian in New York in Paris where the eggs originate. And then get sent to New York, and we picked out caviars and had them sent over here, and all of that. So, um, that it's a like great, a terrible experience. Yeah, it is caviar. hard work, yeah, really hard work. Really all right, we have to wrap up, but you guys have some interesting things coming up. Yeah, you want to talk about them? Yes, I mean, at the wharf, we're gonna be that's what you're referencing, One of right? Things. Go ahead. Yeah, at the wharf, we have uh. What are you laughing? <laughs> yeah, at the wharf we're gonna open a, uh, like a very contemporary European in format, um, but with no pretense. Again, have a lot of fun, kind of like uh, dining in London or Paris, mm-hmm. you know, like Le Cinq, but in twenty three, cool. uh, and have a lot of fun with that. And then next door, Will will have a his cocktail version of John. So just like what twenty four seats, twenty six seats, thirty seats. So yeah, a, a cocktail experience or a bar? Uh, so it's a bar with a uh, cocktail experience uh, cool. idea. It's called Press Club. Uh, we're very excited about it. Like the it. Duck Press. And then uh, yeah. we have been doing. Damn it! I never thought of that. Are you kidding? No. Okay. Uh, sorry. That's you know, I actually uh, I heard that like six months ago, and I, yeah, I was like, I was hoping no one would ever bring it up. Okay. Um, but we are doing a bunch of uh, really cool cocktail collaborations to kind of gear up for it. Uh, we have uh, we had some of like the best bars in America already come at Jaunt mm-hmm. for like an omakase cocktail experience. But we're uh, we'll be keeping that up. 
Excellent. Yeah, what right. else do you have in your notes? What else? Aren't you guys opening up someplace else? Yeah, so we're working with the Four Seasons and opening. Yeah, we're opening the Four Seasons in uh, just north of Miami in Fort mm -hmm. Lauderdale, mm -hmm. and uh, we'll do like a big hearth-focused restaurant there. That's about sixty-five seats. Yeah, big like Life Fire is really ten-foot custom-built hearth from Demont Grills, and cool. It'll be really fun. We'll cook like whole whole turbos and things like that over the fire. Big pieces of meat. So cool. a lot of crudos. We'll be right on the ocean. Should be. In January and February, I'll probably find a reason to go cook there. Okay. Um, yeah, <laughs> I feel like I need a fan trip. So, yeah. um, on that note, uh, I want to thank you all for joining me. That's very exciting. So it's yours, um, and you can take the press and put a little accent over it. Um, <laughs> and I won't take credit for it. Um, one last thing before I wrap you up. Right now, what are you eating that you're loving? Pick a dish. Oof! In my restaurants or yeah, somewhere else? Yeah, let's do yours. Oh, really? I mean, shit, that's like being on crab rice. Crab rice? Crab rice. Okay, and what are you eating somewhere else? Um, I love what Jeremiah is doing at Petite Cerise, and mm -hmm. I love Aldi. Me too. Okay, yeah. your turn. What are you drinking at your restaurant that's so yummy? Um, besides the vintage Negroni, yes. uh, we have this really, we have a uh, passion for the run. It's a uh, Pisco style Negroni cocktail that we mm. age in a leather bota. Mm -hmm. uh, which kind of gives it a really nice, like, uh, peppery flavor to it. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm very much enjoying that. Okay. And what are you drinking elsewhere? Um, Reason. Yeah, Reason. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, mixed with Gruner. Doing <laughs> it together. Yeah. Uh, my friends at Service Bar just put out a new menu, which has some very cool cocktails. And then Silver mm -hmm. Lion uh, is just doing some extraordinarily crazy cool The things. Emu. Yeah. I had the, uh, I went to the. You know, that's my with, son. The Emu? Sam Nellis. Oh, really? Yes. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, the Cotton Reed uh, Emu Pachuga is one of the weirdest, cocktail. most fascinating things I've mm -hmm. had in a long time. I'm very proud. You should be very proud yes, of it. Yes, I am. <laughs> okay. okay. And hey, you... Shattered him out. Yes, yeah, I know. Did I, try, even, I try to do it on every show. Good, okay. Didn't even say He's a total Nepo baby, <laughs> and I let him rock it. Okay, so tell me what you're drinking at your restaurant. Uh, so this new project from the team at Hundred Acre, Summer Dream. That's uh, their their Sauvignon Blanc. It's it's literally summer in a glass. It's mm. from Sonoma. It's incredible, refreshing, delicious. And I probably every Sunday I'm taking at least two bottles home to just uh, drink and enjoy. Oh my god, that sounds amazing! All right, what about out there? Is there something that you've had out there that you're like, okay, I gotta get it? Well, I know I can't say Riesling or Gruner, so it's Yes, you can. Little... <laughs> You're drinking it. I'm not drinking it. You're drinking it. I'm a really big fan of, of Maxwell Park. I just love their their seasonality and, and monthly mm. programs. And, you know, they just had a, a Magnum Monday this 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 past week. And so it was a Magnum of Donna Riesling that me and a couple of friends drank. And mm -hmm. that's just, it's always fun to find something new there. I love that. You were, you were looking real good the next morning. I was feeling real good. <laughs> sort of the nature of the business. Right? <laughs> well, thank you all for joining me. Um, can you tell everybody where they can find you on Instagram and online? Shout it out. Uh, so I'm at A-E-L-D-E-R 315. Okay. You could just give Bresca and John. Yeah, you can. Yeah, I'm at Bresca and John. Exactly. My account's private. So, okay. you know, you can find them that way. We're friends. Yes. Uh, Ramsey Danger. Yes, I Ramsey love that. Ramsey Danger. Sounds like a cartoon character. That's how my, <laughs> my nephew stages in our restaurant every year for four years now, and that's how he refers to it. I love like, it. He's like, is Ramsey Danger there? I'm like, that's Will. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's there. 
Well, another delicious show on the books. I want to thank these three guys for joining me today. Um, hospitality is not dead, and you can find it at both Fresca and Jaunt. I like where their heads are at because um, I really do feel the same way. I really think Chef made some excellent points about some of the struggles out there in the hospitality world and getting our heads around where we are now. So I want to thank you also for joining me today. Of course, you can watch this whole thing on YouTube. We just sort of launched this back in January. We're getting our heads around it. Uh, and of course, on every podcast thing that you listen to, we're there. So at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube. Um, and don't forget to check out the listariona.com for all the happenings in the DC market. And you do want to follow me because I'm doing some fun shit and you want to see it. Be safe out there and have a delicious week. Produced by HeartCast Media.